Now, if you're looking for ways to incorporate alcoves and nooks into your home tomorrow, start by looking around and gathering up these items. First, a comfortable seat. Hey there, welcome back to Midmod Remodel. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 5. So you come here, I assume, to hear advice, inspiration, and ideas about remodeling your mid-century home. All season, I've been tailoring those ideas to how we can adapt our homes and our lives to this strange new normal. None of us saw this coming, but the longer that the COVID situation goes on, the clearer it's becoming that we may be living with an altered reality for a while here. The more we listen to the news and the advice coming down from above, it's clear that there's no quick fix in sight, and we may have to find ways to cope with some form of social distancing, working from home, limited school and childcare access, and avoiding public spaces or large gatherings for a while to give our public health systems time to catch up with the virus. It's not great, but it's reality. Some things feel more important and some less in light of current events. We all need to adapt. While I'd initially thought of this season as something of a quick fix, how can we hack together small changes for our homes and lives to get us through a short-term situation, now I'm reevaluating for myself and in what I produce for you. For one thing, I'm planning to reopen my Ready to Remodel course in the near future, sooner than I'd initially planned. If you feel like you see your home in a new light now, and you have extra time on your hands due to the way that COVID has affected your family, this could be the right moment for you to hop into the course. In it, I'll walk you through the three essential steps of planning a great remodel, evaluating the needs for your specific family, getting deeply familiar with your home and the conditions and qualities it has, and then learning the basics of mid-century homes and some of their most common necessary updates. I conclude the course by pulling it all together, and you'll get advice on how to choose the level and type of remodel that's right for you and your mid-century home. You get video lessons, helpful PDF workbooks, and live weekly access to Q&A sessions with me where you can get through some of those sticky areas of setting up for a great remodel with clarity. So if it sounds like this might be the right time for you to take on the Ready to Remodel course, stay tuned. I'll be talking about it more in the next few weeks and opening up for enrollment soon. Meanwhile, here on the podcast, we're going to keep thinking about how we can adapt mid-century home remodeling to fit our new life of being home all the time and our more limited access to outside resources. Because here's the situation. More and more companies are extending work-from-home plans through fall and beyond. The Atlantic just published a piece suggesting that many employers may not want to bring people back into offices even once things feel safe. Schools can't become a thing of the past, but since most won't reopen before fall and without the usual summer camp and grandma's house arrangements, we still have a whole host of parents juggling the whole family's worth of needs under one roof. So I'll be staying on this theme. Here's a quick preview of some of the episodes I'll be sharing over the next few weeks. I'll do an in-depth assessment of what makes a great home office at three levels, and we'll also talk about how to overhaul your basement for maximum use. I'll share some inspiration on managing clutter. Note, I won't talk down to you. I've been having to institute some new policies to keep clutter down myself, and I want to share some of those ideas and inspirations with you in the next couple of weeks. I'll do an episode just on paint. As you know, it's my go-to DIY project. We'll talk color theory, environmental safety, and how to paint a room properly. Then I'll do an episode on planning a level two remodel. 
there are a lot of different ways to improve our home, from adding a splash of paint and a few Etsy items to a full contractor-led overhaul. But I suspect that right now, a lot of people are not going to be as ready to invite a host of contractors into their homes to do a major overhaul as normal. It might feel safer and help you fill up furlough time to take on a mid-level remodel yourself. So we'll get into how to plan that. Today, I'm going to circle back on something that's come up a couple of times over the last few episodes, how to use nooks and niches and alcoves to make your house multitask better for you during this crowded at-home time. I've already got a handy PDF download to go along with this topic. If you've already grabbed it, great. We'll go into a little more detail here. If you don't have a copy yet, get yours from midmod-midwest.com nooks so you can get the best out of this episode and see some fun sketches. Find the show notes with links and references and a handy summary at my website at midmod-midwest.com slash 305. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about how we can make houses work better for families right now. We are just asking so much more of our homes than we normally do because of the strange time. There have been countless articles and tweets picking on open-plan homes as hellscapes of no privacy and constant noise, and they seem aimed at modernist houses in general. But at the same time, going back to a Victorian maze of little divided-up rooms doesn't appeal to me. I talked about this a bit in episode 302. I got into how the best homes have places for people in the family to get together and find time to be apart. And thinking about this made me want to flip back through my well-thumbed copy of Christopher Alexander's Pattern Language. Alexander published this little brick of a book in 1977. It was the result of his detailed study of historical and vernacular communities around the world. He tried to distill what he saw as successful design into little micro-ideas, patterns, which could be used together or separately to create great human-centered spaces. I should note that while the book is generally attributed to Alexander alone, it was a joint effort with architects Sarah Ishikawa, now Professor Emeritus at UC Berkeley, and Murray Silverstein, who taught at Universities of California and Washington. Now, the ideas behind the pattern language are all related to creating space, whether it be cities and landscapes or rooms and small gardens, that support and foster human connection and individual well-being. What's not to love there? They come back again and again to the idea that people like edge conditions. They prefer to feel sheltered and separate, even while having a view or access to a larger community area. That's true of a pleasant cafe table in a shady niche looking out onto a piazza, and it's true of sitting in a comfortable spot by the window looking out at your living room. The Pattern Language book deals with this on a number of scales. Here's what a Pattern Language has to say on alcoves. No homogenous room or homogenous height can serve a group of people well. To give a group a chance to be together, a room must also give it the chance to be alone, in ones and twos in the same space. It goes on, This problem is felt most acutely in the common rooms of a home, the kitchen, the family room, the living room. In fact, it is so critical here that the house can drive the family apart when it remains unsolved. So what is their solution? A pattern language suggests that if you can create little alcoves around the edges of main rooms, you can create a sense of shelter that allows for one or two people to feel connected and separate at the same time, and therefore lets people share the same space without overwhelming each other. An alcove like this should be, according to Alexander Ishikawa and Silverstein, no more than six feet wide and three to six feet deep, or possibly much smaller. Rereading that reminds me of one of my favorite family vacations ever— Just a few years ago, my parents, sister, and I traveled out to California for a cousin's wedding by Amtrak. It was an amazing oasis from daily life on so many levels, taking two days out from work obligations and other distractions to just read, chat, and look out the window at America rolling by. 
It was idyllic. But at least part of the fun was the space where we did it. We got two roomettes across from each other, divided by the central train corridor for the trip. Each could be configured at night with stacked bunk beds and during the day with a pair of wide and comfortable seats facing each other. Per Amtrak, the dimensions of a roomette are 3 foot 6 by 6 foot 6. During the two-day trip, we'd sit in pairs, switching up who rode with whom. Every now and then, we'd all pile into one side of the train to check out a particularly great view, and there was just room for two adults who like each other to squeeze in side by side on each seat for a while. With both doors open, we could also chat across the aisle or feel private enough to have just a two-person conversation in each room. The space didn't feel roomy, but it was enough. It was perfect. One of the things you can do to enhance the alcove effect of a little space oriented off the edge of your main rooms are to give it a lower ceiling, to place it by a window, or to build it right into the wall of the house, possibly as a little projecting window seat. The Pattern Language book is filled with helpful design snippets like this, and I'd highly recommend that you get your hands on a copy, if possible, when you're planning a remodel, although I know it's both a bit pricey and the library may be closed right now. A slightly more accessible version of this advice is also available in Sarah Susanka's adaptation of the same ideas into her design philosophy in the book Home by Design. Note, neither Susanka nor Alexander are going to show you examples that look like mid-century modern. In fact, the authors were explicitly rejecting some of the more unfortunate features of mass-produced homes from the mid-century decades when they did their thinking. But I see ideas that can be taken from both and applied to great mid-century homes, especially in the context of a small remodel. So keep your mind open. Now, if you're looking for ways to incorporate alcoves and nooks into your home tomorrow, let's flip back to my PDF download. It's all about arranging furniture, lighting, and other items in your house right now to create instant microspaces that can have some of the same effects that Alexander and Susanka are advocating. If you want to assemble a good nook out of the things you already have at home, start by looking around and gathering up these items. First, a comfortable seat. You want one that is either well-upholstered or shaped to conform to your body. It should support good posture, but also comfy slouching. This might be an easy chair or even a small sofa. If you're rating the basement for beat-up cast-offs, you can do some temporary dressing up with a sheet or blanket and a colorful throw pillow. If you're ordering online, make sure that it looks like it's comfortable as well as fashionable. Remember, this isn't creating a photo corner for your Instagram account. We're making a place where you actually want to settle in with a book, your phone, or even your work laptop and stay for a while. Now, if you're going to stick around for a while, the next thing you need to grab is a small table or other flat surface. You want somewhere other than the floor to set down your book, mug, or devices. This will be both handy while you're there and let you leave a few things in place to entice you back tomorrow. That surface can also serve as a place to prop up your feet. Again, promoting casual slouching. The third thing you need is a good source of light. This is not just the overhead light in the room. Bring a floor lamp, suspend a pendant from the ceiling, or clip a lamp to a nearby shelf. You want a directional task light that you can point at your work or reading surface. In the evening, a single lit area can become a space in itself. Now, I live alone, so in theory, I have no need to create small spaces to separate myself from other people in the house. But in the evening, I still settle down on one side of a two-seat sofa, with the house lights dimmed or off, and a single reading lamp making a pool of light over me and Roxy. A well-placed light can create a sense of enclosure at night. During the day, a hanging pendant over a chair, or a potted plant, can substitute for a lowered ceiling to create a feeling of enclosed small space. Practically, you'll also want a power source for your nook. We live in a plugged-in world, so you want to set up near an outlet or, frankly, just run an extension cord to the spot. 
If you have to get up and move to charge your devices, the chances are your Nook won't last long. In an ideal world, you'd have a spare USB cord you could leave by every reading spot in the whole house. In a remodel, you might plan to locate an outlet in the wall or build it into the floor in your spots like this, but for now, just run a power strip to the space under your chair. But don't forget a space to tuck things away. Especially if you're doing any work in your nook, designate a shelf, box, or other spot to put away the necessary things you'll want to work and retrieve them again after a pause for lunch or at the end of the day. Extra points if you can easily transport them from one place to another so that you can work in more than one spot in your house. At the very least, having a designated spot for paperwork or extra cords mean you'll know where to find them when you come back to look for them. All of these are items you can collect from around your house, but the last ingredient is where you set up your nook. You want to try to enclose or surround yourself with something. Set your nook into a corner or tuck it under an overhang or low ceiling. You might cozy up to a window. Even a shaft of light in a dim room can help. If you have a folding screen or a vertical space divider, that can also help out. Create a safe feeling of being partially hidden and enclosed. In the PDF, I outline the recipe for a well-set-up reading corner chair to place in your living room, how to make an office in an underused closet, the best way to set up a temporary or permanent sitting space outside, and some thoughts on great child-away spaces, play forts, tents made from blankets or bookshelves, and other ideas for helping your kid maximize their own spaces. Grab your copy at midmod-midwest.com slash nooks. The simplest way, of course, to create this kind of space is to rearrange your existing furniture or to source new furniture items to add to your as-is house and create enclosed spaces. That's a level one approach to the problem, which is fine. If you have a little more time and are planning a bigger scale remodel, you can build this kind of space right into the architecture. Here are a few ideas to get you thinking about that while we're on the subject. Most builder-grade mid-century ranch houses have a fairly rectangle-based arrangement of rooms. Sometimes they'll go as far as two next-door bedrooms will share a pair of side-by-side closets that fit into the same two-foot-deep space between, but generally one room shares a straight wall with the rooms on either side. Consider changing up that arrangement when you remodel. An S-shaped wall between two rooms can give each of them a nested niche that can be used for alcove space. By the way, I mean S in the sense of a digital clock number two here, not that you need curving walls to have a good house. You can also consider tiny push-out additions from your house to enhance a picture window or a series of windows. This can be a pretty lightweight addition. An Oreo window is a bay that doesn't go all the way down to the ground, so you don't need additional foundation. It's just suspended as a push-out from the existing structure. Adding just 18 inches or a foot of depth to a window in a living room or bedroom, especially if you then enclose it on the inside with bookshelves, closets, or bench seats, can create a cozy enclosed sitting area with a lower ceiling. Make the most of the space under the stairs, or use other chances to play with ceiling heights to create a hierarchy of spaces. For example, you could drop the ceiling in a hallway to make each room that opens off of it seem loftier and larger, or you could take a lower ceiling area off a full-height room or hallway and make it into a cozy corner. One of the quickest ways to conceptualize this is to play up the mid-century design strength of asymmetry. Rather than centering your living room furniture or decorative items in a larger sitting room, set it up with a main area to one side and a smaller conversation off in another corner, away from circulation like doorways, so that people can have two separate conversations or share the larger space any way they'd like. Anytime you're adding walls, try to build niches into both sides. 
a push-out addition off the front or back of your house should be stepped in from the main width of the house by at least two feet. This will create the opportunity for new contained alcoves both inside and outside the house. Speaking of outside, you can use additions to add space inside and enhance the outside space. In my neighborhood, ranches were set up side by side by side. The original backyards must have felt very open to each other. As the decades passed, though, many people pushed back to add on a master bedroom or an extra living area, and in doing so, they created private L's or C shapes that mean each home has a more secluded backyard with a private patio overlooked by no one. Check out my blog post on how these additions took place over time in the show notes link. Whether you're planning to do work yourself in a level two remodel or dropping it out to a contractor in a more involved level three, remember that any addition is an opportunity to add not just raw square footage, but better uses of that space. And any interior remodel should leave you with more variety in your rooms and spaces that let you enjoy the same square footage in new ways. I hope that gives you some ideas for how you can start to incorporate nooks and alcoves into your home as you plan for a remodel. And speaking of which, remember at the top of the podcast when I mentioned that the Ready to Remodel course is going to relaunch soon? If you already know you'd like to hear more about that, pop your email onto the waiting list and be the first to know when it opens back up for enrollment. You'll find that at midmod-midwest.com slash waitlist, or there'll be a link in the show notes. And those are at midmod-midwest.com slash 305. Grab the links I've mentioned and see an outline of what we've covered in this episode. You can help new listeners find the show by adding a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so that you never miss an episode. So long for now, mid-mod remodelers. I'll have more stay-home home improvement advice for you next week. Bye.